Awesome. If you want to this morning, why don't you open up your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out there this morning. We're going to look at a couple verses. In the book of Acts, we are currently in the third week of a what will be a four-week series on just welcoming the Holy Spirit. Um, we wanted to, or I wanted to rather, uh, I wanted to take some time between Easter and Pentecost, which is next Sunday. I want to take some time in that section here, these, these section of weeks, and just spend some time on reacquainting ourselves with with the Holy Spirit, spend some time reacquainting ourselves with who He is, what He does, and, and uh, what it looks like when He comes and hangs out with us. And, um, <clears throat> and so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going we're to look at a couple verses in, in the book of Acts, but before we get there, um, I want to ask everybody in the room, did, was, um, did, anybody, did anybody this week, um, did anybody pay attention to the wind this week? Was anybody more, more aware of the wind? Now, I, I got some crazy text messages this week. Uh, last week we were we were looking at John chapter three and and it's kind of the famous piece of scripture where Jesus has Nicodemus come to him at night and Nicodemus says, "Hey, you know, Jesus, I know you're a great teacher because no one could do the miracles you could do unless God was with them." The irony is God isn't just with Jesus; Jesus is God. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, "Dude, you're blind," you know, and he begins to he begins to share with him about how how to be born again, how to be born from above, and in the process of doing so, Jesus reveals to us a few nuggets about who the Holy Spirit is, what he's like, and how he operates. And in, in doing so, Jesus, he just kind of throws out this little image to Nicodemus. He says, you know, look, Nicodemus, the Spirit's like the wind, man. You can't see where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but you can hear it sound. And what he reveals to Nicodemus is, is that the Holy Spirit, you don't see him. He's sort of invisible, but he's known by his activities. He's known, his presence is known among us by what he does among us. And... Um, and I was just sharing with, with some people last week uh, about how I had just been meditating on that scripture. And in doing so, I just began to, I was outside working. I'd been working outside for two and a half hours. And I was in my garden. And after working in my garden for two and a half hours and meditating on this scripture, I realized that the wind was actually blowing incredibly hard the entire time. But I had trained myself not to hear the Holy Spirit. I had trained myself not to hear the wind, rather. In, in, the, in, in, a, in a likewise manner, we oftentimes can train ourselves not to be aware of his presence, though he is with us all the time. And so I was just kind of sharing that, and, and um, several people, we just, I just you know, kind of challenged the church last week, why don't we just, you know, when you go outside as a spiritual discipline, why don't you just stop and become aware of the wind? And in doing so, allow yourself to become aware of his presence. And um, a couple people this week uh, texted me, and, and I'll share a, a couple of them with you because they're just so kind of cool. Um, there was a, a, a lady who was about to go into work, and before she went into work, she's just sitting in her, in her car, and, and she just begins to, you know, in that few minutes, she just begins to say, oh, man, God, I love you. And Holy Spirit, would you just reveal your presence to me more? And in the process of, of, of just praying, God, I love you, and Holy Spirit, would you reveal your presence to me more, a giant wind blows against her car so hard that it begins to shake the car. <laughs> you know, and in that moment, she's like, becomes incredibly aware that God knows her and that he's present. And, and I had a couple more text messages that were very similar. Another guy was in his business, and while he's in his business, he's alone, and it's kind of slow, and he's a little bit bummed out because it's kind of slow. And just begins to kind of say, ah, oh, man, Lord, what the heck, you know? I don't want to be slow, I want to be busy. And 
just as he begins to turn his heart to the Lord, all of a sudden this great wind hits his business and it has a metal roof on it and begins to shake the, you know. So it's what happens. Like when we, when we allow ourselves to become aware of his presence, we become even more aware. Like when we, when we become good stewards of the, of the little bit of presence we have, he, he's faithful to give more. So that's kind of where we're at right now. But moving right along, I want to I talk to you out of a couple verses here in chapter 1 that are really near to me um, because they give, us, they, give us, um, they give us more ammunition when it comes to living a life that's infused with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. If we could put that up, Seth, thank you. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he is Jesus, he gave them this command. He's looking at his disciples and he says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to give you guys the setup on this a little bit. The setup is this. Jesus has been, has been he's, like, he's like 33 years old. He's, he's one year older than me at this point. Which is alternately comforting and incredibly disappointing. I'm 32 and I haven't done jack with my life compared to Jesus yet. But uh, that's not the point. The point is... (laughs) The point is Jesus is about to leave the planet, okay? He's been living on the planet for 33 years or so and he's about to leave the planet. He's been hanging out with 12 guys for the last three and a half years. He has just been murdered. I know it's so strange to talk about it like this. Jesus has just been murdered, and he's just been raised back to life. And there's a period of time between, between murder, resurrection, and ascension where he's still on the planet. And that's a good meditation. Why would Jesus hang out on the planet if his main mission in life was just to save sinners from hell? You ever, you ever thought about that? Maybe his mission was more than just saving sinners from hell. It says in the first couple of verses that while he was hanging out with his disciples during those, during those 40 days, he was teaching them the finer points of the kingdom of God. So Jesus had a mission that was somewhat bigger than most of us allow it to be. And he's hanging out with his disciples, and he's about ready to leave, and he's about ready to literally like float off the planet. I mean, it's, it's, a, strange, it's a strange story. And in, when, he, when we get to this point, he says, Hey guys, I don't want you to go anywhere. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait for the gift that my father promised, which, I'm, which he's about to give to you. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Spirit. So that's kind of the setup. But here's what I want you to think. And here's what I want you to really consider. I want you to consider that you're one of the 12 that's sitting in front of Jesus when he's giving you this command. Okay? One of the 11, I guess. I want you to consider that you're one of those guys. And you're in this intimate setting with Jesus. You've just spent the last three and a half years of your life with the most amazing man you have ever met, ever. He's the most amazing man you have ever met in your entire life. Not only that, he's the most amazing man you will ever meet for the rest of your life. For the last three and a half years, I want you to imagine this, okay? Put yourself in those shoes. I want you to imagine that Jesus, the most amazing and compelling man you ever met in your entire life, so compelling that you were willing to leave your wife, your job, and your family to go follow him around. How crazy is that? Peter left his wife to go follow Jesus. 
He didn't divorce her, but you know what I mean. James and John, they jumped off the boat that they were on with their father. They were fishermen. They left their father with the family business and they went and followed Jesus. Imagine that. The man is so compelling that you leave, your, you leave your family, you leave your business, you leave your employment, you leave your jobs. You, you used to be a fisherman, now you're a fisher of men. You used to be a tax collector, now you're a liberator. He's absolutely changed every single thing about you. Not only that, he's the most amazing man that you've ever met. He, you've seen him heal the sick. You've seen him raise the dead. You've seen him cleanse the lepers. You've seen him drive out demons. You've heard his teaching. You've, you've heard him teach. And when he teaches, it's not just like, guys, two plus two equals four. It's not, it's not just this rote, arithmetic, very dull, very boring. But when, his, when he teaches, when he speaks, it's like your heart comes alive. How many people have ever experienced that? You've been in a room, someone's teaching, and while they're teaching, your heart literally comes alive. Like, hope comes inside of you. Hope, like just, you just become infused, you become saturated with hope, you become, you become convinced that things could change, maybe things are not always the way I thought they were, maybe my paradigm for life has actually been wrong all this time. Every time you're around Jesus, it's like that. I love Luke chapter 24, it talks about the guys who are on the, on the road to Emmaus, and and, and being on the road to Emmaus, they end, up, they end up meeting the resurrected Jesus. And because it's the resurrected Jesus, they don't recognize him. There's something about his resurrected body that conceals, his, conceals who he is to them. But on the, on the road to Jesus, they tell, this, they tell Jesus, even though they don't know it's Jesus, they tell him, dude, we're bummed out because the guy that we thought that was Messiah, you know, he got crucified and he's dead and we're, we're totally bummed out. And Jesus says, oh no, man. And he begins to teach them that the Messiah must be, must be crucified and suffer. And in the process of teaching them, he leads them through the Old Testament scriptures. And in the process of being led through the Old Testament scriptures, the Bible has a little nugget stuck, tucked in there and it says, their hearts were on fire. They got a burning heart. I mean, ever, anybody in the room ever had a burning heart? Imagine this. Every time you hung around Jesus, your heart came alive. Every, you're at the dinner table. You're just like, you're eating, you're eating fish. You're eating olives. You're having some bread. You're drinking some wine. And every single time Jesus says anything, your heart comes alive and you become filled with hope. Imagine that you live in that atmosphere for three and a half years. Imagine that the atmosphere and the routine of your life is healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, driving out demons. And when he teaches, I get a burning heart. You know, one of the things that happens is when people get around Jesus... You know, they some, the disciples sometimes get a bad rap. Uh, you guys are probably familiar with the scriptures. Like, they'd be walking along the road, and then the disciples would break into an argument, and they would be arguing about who's the greatest. Y'all ever read that? You ever wonder why the disciples are always arguing about who the greatest is? Two reasons. Number one, their true character gets revealed. Because when you get around Jesus, there's something about his presence, and there's something about his ministry that reveals everyone's true character. But the second reason, this is something I'm becoming more and more convinced of. Jesus, he's so, he's so full of spirit, so full of revelation, and so full of hope, and so full of destiny and calling, that when you get around Jesus, you begin to believe that you can be a great person. And so to even be around him is to, be, is to become transformed on the inside, and you begin to believe that you're a great person who's going to do great things. And in the process of believing that you're a great person who's going to do great things, you begin to beat it out, beat it out of your brother. 
That's not right, but here's the truth. The truth that you're a great person who's going to do great things is, a, is heaven's perspective about your life, and Jesus would redirect them on how to take heaven's perspective and serve their brother. You ever notice that? I'm telling you, when you get around Jesus, hope comes into your life, and you begin to think, wow, I might just be able to do something that counts. And imagine that you live in this atmosphere for three and a half years. You live in an atmosphere where the, where the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the lepers are cleansed, and every time he teaches, your heart comes alive. Imagine that's been the atmosphere of your life for the last three and a half years. Now imagine this. You've followed him around. He's changed your life. You used to be a fisherman. Now you're a fisherman. He was, he was crucified. You guys, we ran off and we left him. He was resurrected. And when he was resurrected, he, I love that story in John. It says he just walked through the wall. That would be a crazy night. Yeah, he walks through the wall. And in the process of walking through the wall, he doesn't come in angry. He comes in full of mercy and compassion into a room where everyone is scared and broken. And when they realize it's Jesus, they become even more scared and broken because they realize we ran out on the guy who isn't running out on us. And Thomas says, man, God, man, Jesus, I need to see your wounds. And he says, well, come on. Imagine that you've spent the last three and a half years with the guy who continually shows mercy and compassion to the down and outers and those who are typically excluded from mercy and compassion in the law. Jesus has shown mercy and compassion to prostitutes. He's, he's shown mercy and compassion to lepers. He's shown mercy and compassion even to thieves. The thief on the cross says, Lord, if you would, just remember me. And Jesus, imagine being around a person who was so full of mercy and compassion and completely re-identified people who were at the bottom of the spectrum. Now imagine that you spent the last three and a half years with this amazing Jesus and he's also completely re-identified the, uh, the standing of the people who had power. He, he would come to the religious professionals of the day and this always makes me nervous, okay? Because I am a religious professional professional at least in the sense that I get paid to do this Uh, not in the sense that I'm good at it um, but I do get paid to do this Uh, but Jesus would come to the religious professionals the guys who were learned and skilled and who were trained and he would he would bust them a new one almost every time so imagine you've you've lived your life in this atmosphere and imagine that you've lived your life in this atmosphere for three and a half years and imagine that you are in you are in a, in, a, in a living room and you're having a private dinner with Jesus and imagine that Jesus, the most amazing man that you have ever met in your entire life, looks at you and he says these words. Imagine that he says, Guys, I do not want you to leave Jerusalem, but I want you to wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus is saying that in light of the fact that you've spent three and a half years with me, in light of the fact that it's been the most amazing three and a half years of your entire life, in light of the fact that it's been the most transformational three and a half years of your entire life, Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere. Why is he saying, don't go anywhere? Have you ever thought about that? Here's what I'd like to suggest to you this morning. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and that would even be you and I, Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere because there's more. 
there's more. And this is one of the key things. This is maybe the most key component to living a life that is baptized, filled, and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. You have to be the kind of person who can hear Jesus' words and latch on to them that there is more. I have consistently found in my life that the people who are most connected to the Holy Spirit are the people who are most convinced that there is more. And here's one of the things I want to share with you. The fact that there is more, it's foundational to the kingdom. The fact that there is more is a foundational principle to the kingdom. We'll look at a couple scriptures here. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. This is, this is a Christmas verse, right? It's, it's just more than a Christmas verse. This gives us some insight into the nature of the kingdom. Look, look at what Isaiah writes about. He says, of the increase of his government, that'd be Jesus' government, of the increase of Jesus' government and peace, there will, there will be no end. What's the conclusion? There is more. There is more. See, more is a, is, a, more is, a, is a significant foundational concept within the kingdom. We'll look at verse Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. This is, when, this is when God is calling Abraham. And by the way, when God is calling Abraham, this is the thing I want you to realize about. When God is saying this and declaring this over Abraham, he's declaring this to a goat herder, Okay? He is declaring this to a goat herder. The man herds goats. And God says to him, Goat herder, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, goat herder. What's the point? The point is, there is always more. There's a really great parable in Luke chapter 19. It's the parable of the minas. It goes like this. The master leaves his, leaves his servants with, little, with some money. He gives them all some money. And then he comes back sometime later, and the first servant comes to him and says, Well, master, you gave me, you gave me one, one mina, and your mina has earned for you ten more minas. And, and the master looks at him and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now be faithful over ten cities. Anybody ever stop to think about that parable? Dude has money. He has a mina. I don't even know how much a mina is worth. Dude has a mina. He goes out and over a period of time takes the mina and increases it tenfold. So he takes some money and makes more money. The Lord comes back and says, You've been faithful with a few things. Now be faithful over ten cities. What's the point? In the kingdom of heaven, there is always more. It's, it's foundational to, to knowing God. And just so, just so I can have a, a moment of, of disclosure, the prayer of my heart has always been, I mean, this is like the default prayer. Like if I don't know if I don't know what to pray, or if I just decide to start praying without really even giving any thought to what I'm going to pray, usually the prayer comes out like this. It's very simple. And I've been praying this for 25 years. God, I love you, and I want to know you. 
It's the prayer of my heart. Has been for 25 years. God, I love you. I want to know you. Would you let me know you more? Some days I don't some days I don't pray anything else. In fact, if I'm being really honest, most days I don't pray anything else. Here's what I found. I found that God, I love you. I want to know you. Would you let me know you more? I found that to be a, a dramatically better prayer than most of the other prayers I've ever prayed. Because there's something about the heart that is convinced that there is more, and there's something about the heart that is searching for more that will always find more. See, here's the deal. If you want to have contact with the Holy Spirit, you, 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 you have to, we have to get our hearts to be alive with the fact that there is more. Some of, some of us in the room are like, well, I come from a faith tradition where there was the Father and there was the Son, but Holy Spirit's a stranger. Some of us come from a faith tradition where there's Father and Son and Holy Spirit is an uninvited guest. And here's the deal. To go from, to go from, to go from a place where Holy Spirit is a stranger or Holy Spirit is an uninvited guest into a place where Holy Spirit is a reality and a friend. You'll never make it until your heart comes alive to the fact that there must be more. Like, apart from there must be more, you may never meet it. He lives in the more. Jesus says, wait. Why did he say wait? He says, because there's more. Why didn't Jesus just take them off the planet with him? We did our work. Let's go. Forgiveness for everyone. No, there's more. You spent three and a half years with me? You think that was something? Just wait. There's more. There's always more. It's the cry of my heart. It's not just the cry of my heart, but it's been the cry, it's been the cry of, of, the, of the heart of this church. It's been, it's been in the heartbeat of this church since, since this church came to be. Back in the early days, we, we met in a living room. We met in a living room with those white plastic chairs that if you leaned back in them, they would, the legs would break and you'd fall down. You know, you know those chairs? You get them at Walmart or Dollar General, and they're $2. Yeah, back in the early days, we, we met in a living room and everyone sat in a, in a $2 Dollar General chair that would, that would throw your butt on the ground. And, um, and in those early days, of this church, the cry of our heart was, there must be more. There was even a song we used to sing, there must be more. I, can't, I just remember that this morning in the shower. But, but it, was the, it was the, you know, why is the vineyard the way it is? Why, why do we do things the way we do? Why is the music loud? Why do they sing things that are not on the screen? Why, why does the pastor get up and make us put our hands up? Why, why, do, we do, why do we do anything? Why do, why do we have a prophetic team? Why are they weird? They're not actually weird, but why do I think it's weird? You know, see, all of this was born out of the heart on the inside that says, "I just know there's more." How many of you? How many of you have ever experienced this in your life? You went down front, you held the pastor's hand, you prayed the prayer, you got dunked in water, they gave you the Bible, uh, they, um, they, the pastor signed the Bible, and he, maybe if he was a really sweet pastor, he even wrote a little note in the Bible. You know, you're going to do great things for God. August tenth, nineteen eighty four. You know, um, but how many of you have ever experienced that whole thing? And after, after, after six months after that whole thing, 
you, you, you show up to church, you look around and go, surely there's more. Like, like, surely, like, surely there's more. Anybody ever have that experience? I'm telling you, that's the doorway into entering into Holy Spirit baptism. Some of you are like, dude, I've never had that experience. I've never thought there must be more. Well, here's the good news. You were here this morning. It's a divine appointment. And what I'm telling you is the word of the Lord. And so it can be a, it can be a reality that you can catch on to before you even leave this morning. There must be more. Because here's the deal, guys. I just can't believe that the only thing that we have in life is to get up, go to work, come home, mow our grass, eat a biscuit, and go to bed, you know? Hoss liked that biscuit part, didn't you? Hoss will have two. You might want to have three. You're, you're growing a pretty hefty beard there. It needs some nutrition. Yeah, but I just, I've just, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just convinced that, oh my goodness, surely there's more than, surely there's more than life than just going to work and mowing my grass. And surely there's more to life than like credit card debt. Surely, surely there's more to life than like battling that payment every month. Surely there's more to life than getting excited because I made more than the minimum payment. How many of you have ever how many of you have ever read the read the Bible or and in the process of reading the Bible or, or especially in the process of reading like the Gospels or the book of Acts, you read it and you go, Oh my goodness, this is so much different than my life. How many of you have ever read that? How many of you have ever been powerfully dissatisfied with the fact that this book is so much different than my actual life? Okay. That, that, that dissatisfaction, that, that incongruency, that's the doorway into living a life that's baptized with the Spirit. And what I want to tell you is you actually want to embrace that rather than trying to stuff it away. You want to embrace it. Even though, even though it actually sometimes invites more questions into your life, you want to embrace it. See, if there's not more than Christians, if there's not more to life than this, then Christian discipleship should look like this. One pastor dunks you, and when you come out of the water, the other pastor just shoots you. I mean, right? I mean, you're saved. Just go to heaven. Less troubles. Bam. <laughs> Andrew, you want <laughs> Andrew, you want to be on staff for that? I'll be the dunking guy. Andrew will be the shooting guy. Who wants to get saved? <laughs> yeah, in that scenario. And you'd really have to love Jesus, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just got to be more. I want to share with you all a scripture that's been ruining my life for the last week. It's Isaiah 32. 
Isaiah 32, 15 through 20. It says, Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. Justice will dwell in the desert land. And the, I don't know, what is that? Desert land? Desert and, yeah, dang it. Justice will dwell in the desert and righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Though the hell flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed will you be sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and your donkeys range free? That's a good word, isn't it? How many of us notice in this scripture that there's a connection between... Put it back, can we put it back up, please? How many of us... I want you to look at this. I want you to see the, this connection here. I want you to notice that there's a connection between the outpouring of the Spirit and more. You all see it? Very first verse. When the Spirit is poured out from on high upon us, the desert becomes a fertile field. That's more. But not only that the fertile field becomes a forest. So here's the deal. Some of us in the room this morning can really connect with the fact that, that my life is a desert. You know? If your life is a desert, there's more. Holy Spirit falls on your life, it waters it, and pretty soon the desert becomes a fertile field. Some of us, some of us might think, well, I've done that Holy Spirit thing and I've got a fertile field. Here's the good news. There's even more. Because the fertile field becomes a forest. See, there's always more. And it's that desire and it's that hunger for more that opens us up for an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells his disciples, he says, hey guys, don't leave Jerusalem. And he tells them not to leave because there's more. And it's the kind of more that is essential to the mission that God would send his sons and daughters on. He says, do not, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. I want you to, if you've got your Bible this morning, if you've got a pen, I want you to just, I want you to underline that word gift. See, here's the deal. The more of the Holy Spirit, the abundance of the Holy Spirit, it's a gift from our Father. See, everything in the kingdom, everything in the kingdom, let me put it this way, nothing in the kingdom can be earned or worked for. Everything in the kingdom has got to be received. So, here's the good news. Um, because a lot of us are more connected, at least with this narrative. Uh, can most of us, can most of us, um, most of us in the room uh, have met the Lord and, and are at least doing our level best to be disciples can, can you remember that day when you first met the Lord? Can you remember that day when you realized, oh my goodness, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of mercy? Can you all remember that day? Can you, can, now, can you remember the day when you, when you received mercy? Can you, can you remember the day when you submitted your, your life to Jesus and you didn't just accept Him as your Savior, but you, but you took Him as Lord as well? Can, can everybody in the room remember that? Okay. What did you do to get the mercy? Yeah, you asked for it, and, and you received it, right? Can everybody remember what it felt like to receive the mercy? Okay, 
that's the exact heart posture that it takes to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the kingdom, things are just received. They're not worked for. They're not earned. Nobody can, nobody can, nobody can run through a wall and get it more. It's a gift. And gifts are received. Here's the, here's the bad news. Gifts can also be rejected. But the good news is, it can be received. How many of you have heard this, though? When it comes to, especially like, seeking gifts and seeking the Holy Spirit and that sort of thing. You've probably heard this admonition at some point in your life. Especially if you grew up around here. You've you've probably heard a a well-meaning pastor tell you, well, what you really need to do is, you need to seek the giver and not the gifts, right? Everybody heard that? I want to tell you, that's baloney. It's absolutely baloney. I want you to, if you would, I want you to, to, to look really closely at the verse we just looked at. Let's read it again. And let's read it, let's read it through this, this, this mindset of, we're not going to seek the gifts, we're going to seek the giver. Jesus tells his disciples, do not, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days... You will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. What is the gift that Jesus is talking about and his Father intends to send? The Holy Spirit. What's the problem with the admonition, seek the giver and not the gift? He is the gift! (laughs) Dang it! He's the gift! Holy smokes, you know? Gosh! Not only that, but once you try this one on for size, there's some dads and some moms in here as well, right? I got some moms and dads. I got some sons and daughters. We're all we're all at least sons and daughters, but dads can really connect with this. Um, dads, how would you feel if you try to give your kid something and your kid's like, "Dad, I love you, but I hate your gifts. Get that gift out of my face." that corn out of my face (laughs) yeah okay that might float one time right but how about if you set up an entire heart posture and you set up an entire mindset and you begin to live your life toward your father like this dad I love you but keep the gift away from me how long can we live with that heart posture before it begins to take a toll on our love relationship with our father See, one of, the ways, one of the ways that we honor our father and mother is by, is by accepting the gift, not only accepting the gift, but loving the gift. Yeah. See, it's a gift. It can't, be, it can't be earned. It's just received, and it's received from our father. And here's the thing about gifts. Gifts actually... And everybody in the room knows this is true. Gifts actually reveal they reveal they reveal as much about the giver as as they do the gift itself. That's a really poor way to say it, but y'all know what I'm talking about? The gift reveals something about the giver. Here's what I'm convinced of. Heather and I talk about this all the time. People give you gifts. People give typically give you gifts two ways. 
people give you gifts that they want you to have, and people give you gifts that they want. True? Yeah. I'm telling you, I, I, I know this to be a fact. When I was growing up, my dad would buy my sister and I horses, saddles, and bridles. You think I'm kidding. Not only that, but my father-in-law buys you guns. Here's the deal. My father-in-law has probably armed most of the people in this room. If my father-in-law hasn't bought you a gun yet, just wait. If he ever says, hey, let's go down in the shop, just go. You'll come out with a 9mm. And if you're wanting a saddle, just go hang out with my dad. He'll even buy you one of those like army saddles with the section in the middle gone. Just to abuse you. No, but gifts reveal something about the giver. And, and yeah, it reveals it reveals something about our about our father's nature. It reveals it reveals something about the father's intention that he would like to give you his Holy Spirit without measure. It reveals something about his his intention, it reveals something about his plan, it reveals something about who he is, but it also does this, it reveals something about how he sees you, okay? John 3.16 says this, y'all can probably say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and if you believe in him, you'll have everlasting life, right? What's the point? I, this, this got me one day. So, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believed in him would have life. And not just life, but eternal life. Abundant life. Radically good, amazing life that never stops. Located inside of John 3.16 is this little nugget. And the nugget is this. If God loves the world so much that he's willing to kill his son in order to be reconciled with him, you know what that makes you and I? It makes us treasure. See, God spent treasure on you and I, and it makes us treasure. See, people, people don't spend, you don't go out and buy, you don't go out and pay $20,000 for a car that's only worth two grand. See, the price determines the value. So God, God has spent, he has spent the price that was required to purchase back his sons and daughters for himself. And in doing so, the revelation is that you and I are treasure. But it's, it gets actually better than that, okay? Because he says to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised you. You're not just treasure, you're not just purchased, you're not just valuable, but he wants to impart to you also gifts. And the gift says something about him, it says something about his intention, and it also says something about his plan for you. And his plan for you is this. His plan for you and I is to be filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit, with the gift of his presence. Holy Spirit on the inside. Holy Spirit on the outside. Holy Spirit all around us to the point that we begin to move and live life actually like Jesus. What it communicates is this. That the Father trusts 
his kids. Think about it that way. Jesus, Luke chapter 3, dunked in the water by John, comes up, dove of the presence comes and rests upon him. Doesn't just rest upon him, but it remains. Voice out of heaven says, you are my son whom I love, and I'm, today I'm, I'm really well pleased with you. From that point on, Jesus begins a radical, miracle ministry of reconciling men and women to God. Changing mindsets, healing the sick, raising the dead, inaugurating the kingdom of heaven, God's rule and his reign on the earth, setting things straight. Things that are wrong, they get left right in Jesus' wake. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Guys, I don't want you to go anywhere until you receive the gift of my Father. And the gift is the empowerment to live life the way I did it. That's a pretty big gift. What it means is, it means our Father trusts us to do what Jesus did. It says something about him. Gifts reveal something about the giver. They also reveal something about the receiver. And the gift is something that his father promised. So the gift is a promise of the father. So one of the things I'd ask everybody in the room this morning is, is this, is our father trustworthy? I mean, the obvious answer is yes, right? Yes, the father is trustworthy. Likewise, will he give what he promised? He will give what he promised to the ones who are convinced that there is more. To the ones who are convinced that there is more to the point that they begin to hunger and ask for more. Search for more. Live my life for the more. Now I've said all that to get to the actual thing I wanted to get to this morning. couple questions. Number one, who, who in the room this morning has, has room in their heart for more? Yeah. Here's the real question I want to get to this morning, and, and the thing that I think what Jesus was even getting to with his disciples. How many of us in the room have room in our life for more? Oh, you might want to answer this one. You might want to think carefully about this, okay? You ever wonder why Jesus looks at his disciples and says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. You guys, you can read the rest of chapter 1. This is what they do. They actually obey the Lord. This is one of the things I found out about living an increased encounter. Obedience leads to encounter. Okay? When we meet the Lord, and the Lord commands something of us, to the extent that we obey him is the extent to which we will meet him again. So if you're, living in, if you're living in your life in a season that's dry and you can't find his presence, you might want to, to go back to the place where you last had his presence. And if he told you to do something that you didn't do, do it, and the floodgates of his presence will open back up over your life. Okay? Uh, you can look at Matthew 28. Jesus says, well, go to the mountain and I'll be there. They go to the mountain and he's there. Okay? See, obedience leads to encounter. And Jesus says to his disciples at this moment, he says, 
wait in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised you. And the disciples, they do it. They wait. But they don't just like lounge around and eat little Philly. They, um, man, I just thought about little Philly. Dude, hot and spicy chicken. So good. That place is so good. Wow. Okay, where was that? Okay, yeah. So the disciples, they, they begin to take Jesus at his word and they begin to obey. And they begin to obey him by staying in Jerusalem. They go and they, they rent a room, rent this upper room. And there's, you know, probably started out with about 500 of them. And after 10 days of praying and after 10 days of worshiping, there's about 120 of them left. And the Holy Spirit comes in the room. Sound of rushing wind, tongues of fire, speaking in tongues, outpouring, you know the rest. What's the point? The point is this. is Jesus tells his disciples, guys, I don't want you to go anywhere until you've received the gift that my Father has promised. And what the disciples did is they reorganized their life around receiving the more. And so I asked you a few minutes ago, who has room in their heart for more? A lot of hands go up. And then the next question is, who has room in their life for more? A lot of hands go up. And that's something we really need to think about. We need to think about this morning, and this is the word I wanted to get to, is this. If we want to live an increased encounter, we need to increasingly organize our life around receiving more. There is a certain kind of life that is organized around receiving more, and there's a certain kind of life that actually militates against receiving more. And I'm not talking about taking your TV and throwing it out necessarily. Now the TV can militate against you receiving more, but it doesn't have to. I'm not necessarily talking about getting super religious and throwing the TV out, turning the cable off, and, you know, getting a family Bible that's the size of your dinner table and keeping it open all the time and having just just hold hands family. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I am saying this, is do we live with a heart posture that is hungry for more and willing to wait upon his presence before we do anything else? Do we value his presence to the point that it it rules my life? It sets the course, it charts the course, it it sets up the boundaries, it, it, it sets the pace. Shabbat. You know, You know what I'm talking about? See, there's a certain kind, there's a certain kind of lifestyle that ushers in the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's a certain kind of lifestyle that the Holy Spirit can drop and breathe upon. Here's the deal. If the disciples had not waited in Jerusalem, if the disciples had not given themselves to worship and prayer, guess what would have happened? Nothing. There's a certain kind of lifestyle, there's a certain kind of heart posture. And that heart posture often shows up within worship and prayer. Okay, There's something about worship and prayer. There's something about giving ourselves to worship and prayer. And, and here's the deal. It's not a magic formula. Okay, So I don't want to communicate that. It's not magic. It's, it's, it just happens like this. How many of you have ever noticed that you tend to pray for the things you care about? If you haven't noticed that... Um, Let me say it like this. How many of you have ever noticed that your prayer life goes up when things get crappy? Do you know why your prayer life goes up when things get crappy? Because you care. Yeah. You tend to pray about the things, you tend to give yourself to prayer concerning things that you care about. You know, your kids go nuts, 
Man, the next thing you know, you're praying. You're on your knees every night. You're on your knees at work, dude. You're like, my kids are crazy. You know? Can't make the bills. Dude, I'm on my knees, dude. I haven't prayed for four weeks. Got an IRS bill. I am on my face. How many of you have ever noticed that you... How many of you have ever experienced incredible difficulty in your life? And in the process of experiencing incredible difficulty, you meet the Lord in a new way. Do you know why you usually meet the Lord in incredible difficulty? Because you just turn to Him. Here's the deal. He didn't even plan the incredible difficulty. He wasn't trying to get your attention. He's always trying to get your attention. He's not yanking your chain with cancer. He's not yanking your chain with your crazy kids. He's always trying to get your attention. It's just that sometimes life gets crazy. It focuses our attention on what's most essential. And in the the process of being focused on what's most essential, we encounter God. What's the point? The point is, anytime we give Him the space, He will show up. There's the word. You want to encounter more of the Holy Spirit? Give Him the space. Throw out the TV if you need to. Heck, get three TVs if you need to. Whatever makes a spot for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to have ownership. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Here's the deal. We won't be willing to do whatever it takes until we're convinced that there is more and until we're convinced that the more is something worth going for. Back in the day, um, when, this, when this church first started, you know, it was like I was telling you, we were, we were meeting in a living room on white chairs that would dump your butt straight in the carpet. And, but we just, there was a cry, it was just sort of a collective cry of our heart, God, we know there's more and we want more of you. And at that time, there was a really powerful move of the Holy Spirit that was happening. This is like early to mid-90s. And I don't know, in my lifetime, I've just never seen the Holy Spirit just kind of be so evident and manifest and present everywhere the way He was, okay? Now, I, I've, I continue to encounter the Holy Spirit, but there was, just a, there was just an outpouring of renewal that happened in the mid-90s that was pretty phenomenal. And in the process of of, of God pouring out His Spirit on the church in the mid-90s, you know, and we just have this, this, our little church is just beginning to start, and we just kind of have this collective, you know, God, I know there's more, and we want more of you. You know, one of the ways it, that it, it showed up for us is that we were willing to go anywhere where God was. We, we would go anywhere. We would drive to Nashville. We would drive to Lexington. We would fly to Toronto. It didn't matter what it cost. It didn't matter if it was like, Wrecking our life. It didn't matter if we didn't get any sleep. It didn't matter if we went on Sunday and had to get up and go to work on Monday. We would just go because we wanted to meet God. You know why you'll go and go without sleep and you don't care about your job? I don't, don't mean that. You care about your job, but you're not concerned with sleep. You know what I'm saying? You know why you'll be willing to not be concerned with sleep? You're, you're willing to be not concerned with sleep when you realize that there is something radically better out there. There is more out there. I can be a part of more and that God is moving. When you get a hold of that reality, you will be willing to drive anywhere, pay any price, lay your life down, pick anything up, hear His voice and go do it more. You want to know why we are the way we are? We were birthed out of, we want more. And one of the things I found in my, in my life and as a believer and as a person who's come to this church and as a person who's 
been in leadership with this church is anytime, anytime our congregation has become fixated on God we love you and we know there's more he has always answered with himself he has always answered with his presence One more little thing and we'll be done. Um, see, encountering the Holy Spirit, I want to I bring this one little thing out here because this can really stuff some people up. Encountering the Holy Spirit, um, it really is a partnership between us and the Lord. See, Jesus tells his disciples to wait and his disciples waited and they waited with the heart posture of prayer and worship and, which just reveals that they, that, that they wanted more, you know? And then the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so there are some people who, who read the scripture and go, well, all we've got to do is, is pray and worship and then we'll get the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's kind of true. It's also kind of not true. Okay? Because they prayed and worshiped for 10 days and they would have gone for 20 days if that's what it took. But at some point, God decided, I will pour out my Spirit. So here's the deal. Encountering the Holy Spirit is this partnership. We, do, we put ourselves in a posture. We cry out for more. And then when God wants to, and I don't even get it, when, he, when, when it's just the right time, He pours out His Spirit. There are other people who are like, you know, revival and, and appearance of the Holy Spirit, it's just a sovereign act of God. Well, they're kind of right and they're kind of not right. Because usually, usually the heart posture that revival and outpourings of the Spirit walk in on are the heart postures of prayer and worship, and I want more. So it's a partnership. We give, ourselves, we give ourselves to wanting more, and at some point, he comes in and blesses that. I've never, never, never seen him, never, never seen him return or, or, or turn a person away who is asking for more. Never. They may, you, may not get, you may not get the more that you're looking for in, the, in that one moment, but if you, if you develop a lifestyle of there is more, and I love you, God. I want to know you. Would you reveal more of yourself to me? If that becomes the rhythm of your life, he will answer. I know some people who have prayed that prayer one time and had the Holy Spirit radically touch them one time. I know other people who had to pray and give themselves to that heart posture for two and a half years. Everyone else in the room gets touched. They don't get touched. Everyone else in the room gets a word. They don't get a word. Everyone else in the room gets his presence, they don't get Jack. Two and a half years, they keep a hot posture of, God, I love you, I know you, and I want to know you more. Would you reveal yourself to me? And they just live in that spot. You live in that spot, he will always answer. He will never turn a person away. And so that's what we want to do this morning. If you want to, I'd like everybody to stand up. If you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on down? Come on down. Here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to invite people. I'd like to invite people who are thirsty.